0: Uh, here we go, and uh, welcome to another episode of DevOps Easy Podcast. And um, today, with me in my very virtual studio, as we're still all quarantined, my co-host Kat Cosgrove, developer advocate with Jeffrog, and we are very honored to host uh, the one and only John Willis with us. Here you go. Hey, my name is Baruch. I'm a head of developer advocacy in JFrog as well. And um, with that, just a little bit of background. You probably know John Willis. You should if you don't. But for the two of you who uh, don't know who John is, um, co-author of uh, one of the most important books in in DevOps, uh, the DevOps Handbook, um, author of uh, what, like, a dozen, couple of dozens other books. Uh, One of the... Pioneers of the term DevSecOps, that we'll probably touch a little bit about that as well. Um, Was with Chef, when Chef was cool, was with Docker, when Docker was cool, and now I guess with Red Hat, when Red Hat is cool, we're going to talk about that as well. Um, Right, did I forget any of your regalia?
1: I I think the, the most important thing is I'm a big deal. No, only kidding. I always hate these
0: inter- <laughs> No, no, but actually, that is a
1: very, very oh, good description. Stop it! Stop it! You know. And then I'm like, okay, it's like the um, the uh, Bill Murray in uh, in the they the, the, they become they join the army, you know, like and they they go around they ask him. He's he's like he gives that kind of answer, you know. No big deal. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. No, I mean it's good, and it's you know this virtual world is kind of interesting and. um so, uh, I think somebody said now is a really good time to really get good at guitar playing. So, yeah, we
0: see we see your background. It has the guitar, it has the drums. What's going on?
1: Yeah, that's uh, so. Uh, what happened? We were going to buy a house. A uh, good thing we didn't. Uh, we, we were literally ready to buy a new house, and then you know, I got cold feet, and so my family has sort of torn up my uh, room that I use for my music studio. But that's my son. My son is a killer drummer, man. Oh. And so he plays drums to me. And
0: I think your internet, internet is fine. right. Right, now, now.
1: right yeah, I got a pretty good little studio set up here. Yeah, I have that problem sometimes. Is it okay now?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're kind of back. But, uh, you know, we are on Zoom, and Zoom is doing decent job with crappy internet, so we'll, we'll be fine. It's kind of good. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. All uh, right. Um, so, yeah. So, I think we made an intro. and and When do we start? Uh, yeah, when do we start? Uh, I think we can start with... with Wait a minute. With... Now,
1: you're a pretty big deal, too, dude. Ah. You know, so, let me, like, you know, I always do this. I always sit here and listen to you. I mean, you know, so my joke is, you know... I'll know the gig is up the morning you wake up and realize I'm not that smart. Then I'm like, ah, they finally caught on to me. You know, Brooke, Brooke figured it out. Now the rest of the world's going to figure it out. So
0: <laughs> No, no. You you anyway. you are you are one of the most respectful people in our industry for a very good reason. I mean, credit when credit is due you completely deserved your your reputation and and uh, we are going to grill you a little bit but uh, it will be it will be all in good all in right. good let's respect
1: let's take a run let's go
0: all right oh, yes. <laughs> um redhead global transformation office
1: yeah uh, so you know, uh, interesting, um, you know, most people, if you know me, you should probably know Andrew Schaefer, Andrew Clay Schaefer. And uh, we've been buddies for, you know, I met him when he was one of the original founders of Puppet. And, you know, I knew Luke back in the day. Um, and um, this was even before I went to work, you know, started com- going into the whole chef thing early on. And uh, we've been just great friends. And, and in fact, I, it, I was, the, the reason I actually got into DevOps was, Andrew, um, you know, Michael Cote, for those you don't remember, and this guy named Israel Gatt, who was like sort of an Agile. They ran a podcast called the uh, Agile Executive, and Andrew was their guest. And I knew Andrew, and, you know, and I knew him through sort of a puppet. And then uh, um, they were talking about Agile infrastructure and Agile operations operations and i i was listening to podcasts on a road trip i feel more about this what is this like I, like there's there's a place for me here and then he told me about sort of patrick and patrick gabar and what he was doing and i tracked him down over in europe and he invited me to the first devops day um in ghent um i was at canonical my air and you know travel they would give canonical uh, sponsorship and i um and so I went over there, and I was actually the only American at the first DevOps day. And then, literally, that just—you know—I had been doing Tivoli um, stuff for for about ten years, and I, you know, I was just sort of tired of our industry. I mean, I, I at that point I had had a good, you know, thirty years in this thing, and I just felt like we weren't really ever solving any problems. <laughs> I'm not sure if we still are, but hey, um, but no, but at that point I was, you know, I really was like, you know, at the crossroads of like, this is sort of nonsense that we do all this work for these large customers. And, and we never really, you know, um, you know, I had a consulting company for that worked as a subcontract for IBM and we take over after IBM had done a ton of work and we would spend a year just trying to get it stable. Anyway, long story short, I saw all these young kids talking about this way of doing things completely different. I was already sold on puppet and, uh, and the infrastructure's code thing. And um, and I, just, I I caught on fire, you know. I um, you know, I knew Damon. I came back. I was working at Chef at the time, and and I remember asking, uh, you know, Jesse Robbins, who was the uh, he was basically the CEO of, of Chef at the time, was originally called Opscode, but he was also the program chair for O'Reilly Velocity. And I said, hey, you know, do you think O'Reilly would get mad if we if we did a tail end DevOps day after Velocity? And he said, they won't sponsor it, but, yeah, they don't mind. And then we ran the first DevOps days at LinkedIn in, a, in a Silicon Valley in and in a, in a, in, in Mountain View, and that was the first. And, and put in perspective, we're like 40 – I think it was 40. Chris Byte says it was 50, all right. <laughs> at, the, at the Ghent, you know, we go back and forth on this. but 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 make no mistake, like seven months later, there were 300 people. Yep. At the first yep. U.S. one, right, and and it was clear that like this was everything I felt I got to witness with three hundred other people. But uh, yes, this really is when i was been so all that stuff we do. And he called me in September last year, and I, you know, people know me. I've been independent most of my. My career, you know, I, I, I sold a couple of companies. I stick around for a little bit. I sold the company to Docker I sold the company to Dell. I stick around enough time to sort of run out my sort of the money I have to get to stay, to be honest with you. Cause I don't like working with big companies. And, <laughs> yep. um, but Andrew calls me and says, Hey, what would you think about coming to work with me at Red Hat? And, you know, he was highly recruited because he was at Cloud Foundry, you know, Pivotal and, uh, and he does some amazing stuff there. And, um, And I was like, Andrew, you know, I don't like, I don't like big companies. And he was like, he was like, "Um, you know, I think this is going to be different. You know, I got Kevin Bear with me and I know Kevin really well. We're close friends and and he wrote the Phoenix Project and Jay Bloom, if you ever met him, he's a freaking genius. And he said, I think it's going to be different. And I was on a call with uh, Jim Whitehurst a week later, you know, the CEO at the time of uh, Red Hat and, and he shows up in a t-shirt and, you know, And I just started saying, "Hey, I don't work well in big companies," and like he just put me at ease. And I, I mean, it's funny. My view of. before I worked for Red Hat, and my you of Red Hat now that I work there, going, I started getting the Kool Aid, but I'm like six years old and I've seen a lot of Kool Aid. <laughs> like, um, mm-hmm. but anyway, sort of our our reputations, and and to try to put in an injection into Red Hat, you know, not IBM, of you know, like you know, the idea is if you were thinking about like sort of two decades of DevOps, the first decade we're done. And, you know, it's sort of in place, you know, I, I say the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. The glass half full is everything that, that as a community we've accomplished has been amazing, you know. And I, I would put the umbrella of sort of open source and, and you know, sort of DevOps and, and you know, software supply chains and, and cloud and all the variants of clouds. Like these are all things that have created incredible commerce over the last 10 years. You couldn't have Uber, love it or leave it, but you couldn't have Uber. You know, back in the early days working with Gene, we called this the Cambrian explosion. So the glass is half full, right? So, so in the sort of, you know, January 1st, you know, 2020, right? But the glass is half empty because now what we're seeing is, like, first off, what does the next 10 years look like? like? We can't sort of just stick around and, like, pat ourselves on the back for 10 years now, like, we're so awesome. We're DevOps, like, get out of my way, don't you see this DevOps thing shield I have, you know, you know, it works, get out, you know, and, and like, that doesn't work for the next 10 years. So now I we're think thinking about like transformation and, and um, you know, what does the next 10 years look like? And what are this, what's, and the glass is half empty. Cause I think you, you both know that like if you go into any large bank healthcare institute, it's still a small percentage of adoption. Right. And and, and there and, and there's some stagnation too. Like you're not seeing, you know, we're getting into the tenth year and we're not seeing like the sort of exponential growth of adoption. So I think a lot of what we're thinking about is what what are the things um you know, how do we sort of break out of this, you know, like everything's great, DevOps is right, it's the right model, we're doing all the right stuff, you know, and but so my version of it, but in the general is we're trying to figure out what transformation means. What is the next 10 years, and how does, where are we, um, where are we missing, you know, what lenses are we not using to see where we might not be sort of progressing at the adoptions that we really think this thing, you know, we all know this is perfect, not perfect, we all know this is right. The question is, why isn't it sort of accelerating
0: So let me understand correctly. So that's I
1: think you oh. is sort of trying to figure out for sort of red right yeah. hat and at the industry, right? Like Kevin, now go ahead.
0: So, so I think it's more what what you are saying is okay. This transformation office is about it's about implementation. It's about popularization. It's about taking what we learned through the first ten years to the masses.
1: Well, and then also sort of accelerating um, you know figuring out what how to accelerate adoption right um, I mean yes, what we 've learned, what are the right principles, what is some of the nonsense, and what are the things that are are, are sort of you know like all right so first off, sort of filter out the nonsense right okay
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and anybody can do that right but and, and so, what are the things that are that are really rock solid right I mean just now that we 're sort of on the um, sort of the jfrog channel right artists i think we really have a good scope of sort of as one of many pieces artifact management right like you walk into a shop today and if they don't really get that you're like okay yes we've got to you know we're gonna have to help you a little bit here you know um and, and it's one of a lot of list things that you would say, you know, I always think about like if, if somebody says, or they do often say, John, come in, tell us what we, you know, how we compare in our DevOps journey. Right. And if I walked in and like, you had no artifact management and you, you, you know, sort of did Jenkins on Wednesdays, but you didn't, you know, like, okay, you're not doing it right. So we sort of know what good looks like. Yes. And, and we know what the nonsense is. And yes. but the TTO is like, okay, let, let's make that table stakes. But then also really for me, and I, and I think, you know, like, again, Andrew has some really good stuff that he's, we've been, actually our first four months, almost five months now at Red Hat, we've sort of been in a discovery mode. I've been like, just going, I do what I do. You know, when Andrew said, I said, Andrew, what will I do at Red Hat, you know? And, uh, and he said, just do what you do. You'll do what you've always been doing. And so one of the things I've been doing is going into customers and just interviewing customers. This is what I've been doing for the last three or four years is, you know, meeting the people that do the work and having honest conversations with them. And now I'm doing that with sort of large Red Hat customers, right? And um, and then, you know, so you get to – and what you find then are the sort of – why is this organization not scaling or getting the adoption that they should? So a lot of what we're thinking about is – like what are the missing pieces and you know and we'll, you know i think you know i'm sorry if you hate the word transformation but like it's a word that's now been stuck upon us <laughs> and and you know and uh, and you know it, we've bonded with it and and so like we're just going to have to use it and so then the question is you know how how do we take what is the table stakes of devops and figure out what this thing called transformation means which really means accelerating in particularly digital line- Transformation, accelerating that so that we're not getting stagnant. Even, here's the thing. I get very meta. If we go back, I've been doing this 40 years now. I mean, one of the things that constantly happens in our industry is that we get this free, we get like a five, maybe 10-year run on something, and then something new comes along, and the new people have no history in the old stuff. And we sort of do the, you know, we, we sort of repeat our, we do everything all over again. And I think, well, you know, one of the things when I first started hearing this digital transformation a couple of years start popping up in boardrooms, I thought, you know, the, thing, the most important thing we need to do is I don't give a rip in five – this is five years ago. I don't give a rip if we're not using the word de- DevOps anymore. I don't really care. You know, looking into the future five years ago to now. What I would really bother me is if we were reinventing the real all other again under this new thing called digital transformation. Right. So I think that's an, to me, that's an important point is making sure that, that DevOps is necessary, but maybe not sufficient. I'm not willing to go there completely yet. I mean, if you, if if the industry wants to go in on digital transformation and say, well, that DevOps stuff was great last decade, I, I don't think we're there.
2: So but do you think we'll get to a point where uh, DevOps isn't a phrase we use anymore? It's not, It's not that it's not a thing. It's just that it's the way things are done. It's, it's DevOps isn't like a thing you transform into. It's just the way we do things. now.
1: I think that's sort of inevitable. I mean, I don't really care either way as long as we're sort of like not repeating all the efforts over again. And we're, you know, so if, if DevOps become, you know I mean? So I'm old enough to remember, there used to be a magazine called uh, a computer world. And the word computer was still around. It is still around. Yeah. All right. And it used to be a big deal, like computer world. And you'd, you'd race to read it. And the the real reason you read it is because all the job offerings in the last six pages, but, but, but the, uh, but it was, you know, the, just the word computer. And like today, like people don't use the computer and even cloud is sort of turned into sort of ground noise. Right. And so I think to answer your question, the more likely scenario is DevOps becomes ground noise. Right, which is just you know, it's 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 sort of in our DNA. Uh, oh yeah, no, yeah, you have DevOps, absolutely, yes, you you have that, but uh, like we're beyond that. And like it's like walking into a, the, there's be a day when you go in a presentation, even even in the early days of cloud, right? it used to be fun like there used to be these um, cloud camp conferences, and and like you, you know, three years in, it, like you you were the odd person out if you actually started your presentation with what is a cloud.
2: <laughs> like,
1: you shouldn't have to do a what is a cloud right. anymore. Like it, you know, there'll be a point of which you probably shouldn't have to walk in everybody and say. A lot of my presentations now are like, I'm going to assume based on what I know about your organization that so do you know what DevOps is? You sort of practice your own version of it. Let's move beyond that and assume that you know. So yeah, so I think that it becomes ground the, sort of the part of our DNA. Does that make sense, Kat? It
0: does. Thank you. And yeah, know yeah, I do no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't to move into. I, I disagree with you that now people Uh-oh. know what DevOps okay. is, and I'll tell you why. I look at the amount of, uh, of job postings for DevOps engineers, and I realize that most of the industry has no idea what DevOps is. <laughs> John is stuck with a very descriptive
1: image. I, I don't disagree. That's why I said I don't think we're there yet. And then and there's always this sort of spectrum, even in the cloud. Am I okay right now? Oh, no. Just uh, yeah, getting, we can hear not, you, know, you, but on
0: your picture, you're still drinking, but we can hear ah, you. Ah,
1: okay. Um, the cl- but even in the early cloud camps, as we got three years in, I'd realize I wouldn't present what is a cloud and give you sort of the basics, and then the next person after me would do that, and I'd realize a third of the room were hearing about the cloud for the first time. So I yep. think that's where we're in now, right now. I think you're right. I think there's a lot of a lot of people just coming into, oh, what is this DevOps thing? So we're in an arc where, like, we hadn't hadn't hit a sort of a saturation point where the something is that everybody knows DevOps and it's and it's table stakes. I think we're still a little ways from that, but I think that that will happen at some point. But we'll have more people will sort of know what DevOps. I mean. You know, if you think about what DevOps is today, like there is no Fortune 1000 company where there isn't some type of DevOps initiative going on.
2: Of course, sure, right. because at scale, like if if you're not releasing however many times a week, you're still releasing once every 3 months and your competitor is able to release, you know, a dozen times a week, you're going to get destroyed.
1: So, yeah, and- Absolutely, and there is that sort of like, you know, you start looking over your shoulder and like you start realizing what you're, um, I remember there was um, a great story back, you know, probably about 10 years ago about, one you know, two of the trading, you know, E-Trade and somebody else, and, and, um, and one of the companies found out that their competitor's customer cost to make a trade was actually, oh, I don't get this right, it was actually less than what their internal cost was. Oof! Right, like that's when you wake up and say, "Okay, we well, better change the world. something's
0: wrong."
1: What are they doing? Different, right? That's right. And so, uh, I think those are the sort of watershed. Um, you know, we'll find that sort of sort of got their head in the sand, and still doing sort of waterfall, and, and not that sort of waterfall is is deep only thing you have to do but all the all the sort of bad habits command and control your sort of control your uh you know i mean the the you know, your sort of behavior patterns your culture your sort of how you actually deliver software your fear-based organization you know blameful all those things you know if you have any if you see your competitor just pulling away you sort of start figuring out like what's going on over there you start like what is this what's this what's this blamelessness what you know and uh you know, what's psychological safety? What does that do? You know, so yeah. So No, I, I think um I think we're you know, there's no evidence that there, you know, that there isn't a lot of sort of conversation around, you know, quote unquote DevOps.
0: Yep. No, that makes sense. So um let me ask you. So you 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 mentioned that what you are doing. You're, is what you're always done, uh, being like a consultant mode. Do you go into organizations and uh, start asking the questions and figure out why this whole DevOps thing or digital transformation thing is not is not picking up? So what what do you see? Why why we we don't see this uh, you know this massive adoption or this ripple effect?
1: You know, so, you know, it's interesting. So, um, you know, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, Gene gives me this compliment about the, that, you know, that one of my abilities is sort of to be able to sort of listen to people. I say listen to really smart people and then be able to translate it in a way that sort of everybody can understand, right? That That's – I think if I have one superpower, it's being able to surround myself by incredibly smart people and then being able to sort of absorb and be uh, – be enough of a pest to make sure I understand what they're saying and then being able to sort of then turn around and talk to a room and explain that complex idea in sort of, you know, I you know, Gino's has the unicorns and the horses, right? I hang around with a lot of unicorns. I, I, I make sure I like nuts and bolts, you know, uh, meat and potatoes, understand what they're saying. And then in a horse's mouth, <laughs> which that's horrible. Um, I basically explain it. So, to that point, Jabe, you know, Jabe Bloomer, I work with. Um, we, we're starting to there's are some blog articles on this, and, and he's really, really, I just love the way this guy thinks, right? And and so he started to start working with this idea of these three economies, and I, I love this stuff. So, and, and I think it's it's um, it fits really well, you know. Like I have this sort of notion of like we're not scaling. Why are we not scaling? and and, and but I haven't been able to sort of describe. A more specific way of, you know, you know, sort of like take it to the next level, and so here's this thing called the three economies. It's better done on a slide, but I didn't do it. If you think about what DevOps has been in the last decade, it's really been two economies. It's been a, a, a differentiation economy, right, which is typically your development, and then um, a, a scale economy, which is usually operations, right. So, so in, in a two economy world, right basically you're trying to, Oh, you've got this sort of tension between, um, accelerating differentiation. Like I'm a bank. I've got to have a better, um, iPhone app than my competitor. And I've got to move really fast and, or I get emerged. And, and then the operations is about sort of scale, but, but really resilience and scale as sort of this, this unified, um, element. Right. And, um, and that's the economy. And what we've done magically over the last 10 years is figured out how to sort of at least try to figure out how to arbitrate those two problems, right? And, and you know, we call it DevOps. We say, let's break down any walls between these two economies. Let's go ahead and, uh, you know, let's go ahead and sort of figure out ways to do collaboration, figure out ways to sort of automate the sort of the, the operations part for all the things, right? Like we don't have to go through them all. But there's still tension there, and in fact, if you think about like SRE, SRE is almost in site reliability engineering. But like I'm sure everybody knows that, but it, it actually is sort of um, the rubber meets the road, in my opinion, of that tension, right? Like oh, so, I, think it's like, I would agree. What? I think I would agree. Yeah, so so, but but you're still dealing with two, you know, sort of a two economy problem, right? But you know, so, so you got error budgeting and SLO and SLIs, and like that's the so there's sort of this admittance from Google that at scale they really are two economies. So here's how you solve it, right? You sort of create these sort of abstract contracts between um, you know sort of service development groups and and operations, which are SRE, All right, So that's fine. So what Jabe is sort of described is a three economy world. So not just um, you know not not just sort of um, sort of adoption and and um, and, and scale, right? So um, but the third economy is in the middle. What he calls scope. And so so a scope economy is about um, accelerating adoption. And I know this sounds very abstract, right? But then so the, the so the idea is if you can look at the world as three economies. And you have this sort of acceleration and you have switch dev and you have ops. And if you start thinking about there's actually a middle economy or scope economy, which is about scaling adoption. So an example of you know completely nothing to an IT, right? You have sort of car manufacturers are making really fast cars, making cars that make turns at really high speeds. Um and then you have sort of the scale, you know, the scale economy, which is sort of municipal laws and 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 uh speeding limits and all these things. But it's actually the sort of super highways, the like really flat roads and those, that really drive the adoption of these cars, because you really, want to go fast right? And so if you think about, um, so so and, and you know this is very self-serving for what we're doing at Red Hat, but it fits really well. Even it, it sort of describes the Google economy. I don't think Google has ever said we're a three economy company, but if you think about the original Borg and Omega right which which ultimately manifest at kubernetes as the open source project and we would say openshift kubernetes but um, the um, the that they actually run this three economy model because what they do is they actually have created more of not less about a program you know a platform as a service but a platform as an interface so developers for the most part in Google don't know anything about the And they created this separation that creates this acceleration, like these highways. John, we, we, so we lost, you, we lost you for a sec. And, and, and so I, I really like
0: this idea. John, we lost you for a sec. What you were saying about the developers don't okay. think about in Google?
1: Yeah, let me turn my video off. I know it's kind of crappy to use without a video, but I think that right, might okay, help. So okay.
2: um,
1: sometimes that helps. Um, um the uh all right, boy, not having fun here. Now I'm back. All right? You hear me? Yep, yep all good. Yep, you hear so the developers at Google for the most part, probably for all part, is they don't really know anything about the infrastructure. They don't know what type of storage, they don't really know what kind of compute. They have this sort of uh, scope economy, which, which has been built for them originally called Omega, and then you know, the, or Borg, and then Omega, and then we see it manifest as Kubernetes. But, and and that their abstraction that they've created is the developers basically just know that there are interfaces. You know, and that um, you know, I was thinking about like the the um, the SRE discussion, right? You know, like, so when you, in in, in a way, like. SRE is just the, the the arbitration between the two economies, which is scope, which is if I, I think about SRE is like I go in and I'm a service team. I create all my non-functionals, my operationalization stuff, all the things plus the service. I go to SRE and I say, hey, you know, what's the SLO on this? We say it's three nines. We then sort of arbitrate on the cost of that. And then if I'm in the service team and I say, um, yeah, but, like, what are you going to use for storage? I'm like, well, that's like, you can't, uh, that's none of your business. Like, you don't get to ask that. And why do you want to know? Right? So, so the, the, the scope economy is about really sort of creating that abstraction interface that allows. And, and so I think there's a lot there. In, and and I, so I, I joke when I, I, sort of halfway joke, when I go in a large client or I do a presentation, I say, ha, ah, SRE, You're not Google." let me say this again you're not google so like stop freaking out about all the things that you read about what the prescriptive notions of how you need to do sre like some of my clients like they they spend more time having meetings about what they should do with sre like you know what you want to save a bunch of money like table all discussions to 2021 you know um (laughs) but um but but then this, but you can say that you're not Google. You know, Google has one application. They've got this beautiful sort of boundary interface that allows. You know Mark Burgess, you know who wrote the forward to the SRE book, the founder of Infrastructure as Code, the creator of CF Engine, uh, a really good buddy of mine. You know he said one time in a conversation is one of the things that that Google did that was brilliant, which was make a, a non-deterministic infrastructure look like a deterministic infrastructure to their developers. But isn't that beautiful? And that's sort of what a scope economy is. So I think it's not the only thing we're thinking about, but I do think there's sort of the, that you're not Google. You want to be like Google. Google has one application. You have 17 businesses with thousands of applications, but a way that you could become like Google is start thinking as not just platform as a service, but platform as an interface, start understanding your, um, the, how you, how, you know, What is the holistic view of your um, organization structure in terms of economies? What do you really want to achieve? Do you really want your developers? I mean, you can't scale if your developers are having the right YAML to decide what, what sort of storage they use. Right? I mean, it's just, I mean, God bless everything, you know, OpenShift, Kubernetes, and everything, but we're never going to scale. If, you know, every other month somebody's having to learn a new stanza in sort of in a YAML definition that describes complex networking and complex storage and to a certain extent, complex routing and compute to nodes, right? Like, we'll just never scale. And by the way, Google doesn't operate that way. Nobody on the development side knows that they they're running like layer, you know, layer three in advanced networking via open source, OpenFlow stuff. Mm-hmm. They'll never have to know that. So anyway, that, that's part of it. I think there's some other things that sort of I've been thinking about. You know, and as you know, the one thing I've really been um, hunkered down over the last, um, you know, probably two years, maybe three years is is more than just DevSecOps, but really uh, focusing on, on things like automated governance, cloud automated governance, policy as code. Um, how do we sort of get these sort of rusty old um, you know, sort of policy spreadsheet, policy regulations in large banks, sort of automated and built into the non-human sort of um, evidence or attestation models inside the pipelines. I've been spending a lot of time on that.
0: So let me let me try and and rephrase it and see if I understood correctly. The scale economy is is an abstraction that encapsulates those two conflicting economies in order to make sure that they coexist and actually be devils, if you wish. Well, yeah, and,
1: and it is, it's um, is—it's it, the scope economy. So you what
0: have – yeah, yeah,
1: scope. Yeah, yeah you got scope it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. And, and it's, it's about um, scale of adoption, right? Yes. That, that's the key, right? Where scale is about scale of infrastructure. Oh, my God, I got to worry about skit. I got these, like, knucklehead developers. I'm only kidding. Knucklehead developers that are just asking for stuff as fast as I can, and I've got two jobs. I got to keep up with their scale, and I got to make it resilient. Yeah. And, and, and in sort of that bimodal economy, economy structure, you know, that's what we're left with. If you sort of separate that into sort of a trimodal, if that's a phrase, you know, three economies – then you sort of can really look at like how, you know how, and then it, to me the beauty of that is that everybody sort of wants to be like Google, whether they want to admit it or not, but they can't, right? But but <laughs> if you start thinking this way, you in the enterprise you actually can. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think yeah. I think that makes sense, and this is what that might be one of the one of the one of the things that that are. In, uh, that are in the way of, of DevOps adoption in the end of the day, because we can, we can uh, sing Kumbaya as, as, as much as we like and talk about how important it is that those two world, the dev and ops will come together. But in the end of the day, their underlying conflicting um, basic um, incentives are not going away no matter what we say.
1: That's exactly right. That's, that is the meta, meta point. That's the thing when I first really understood what SRE was, you know, um, and I tell a lot of people listen to me because I always wonder if I'm describing stuff from such a meta level. I'm like, like what the heck is this guy talking about? But, but if only a couple of people get it. Like I feel good. But the thing, when I first understood what, you know, and actually where when the, the, the time I really under SRE, I, I had this other gift, um, although we didn't do it this year, but um, Kelsey's family is from uh, you know, Kelsey Hightower's family is from Atlanta, so like we usually we get together for what turns out to be a really long lunch when he comes back to Atlanta. And it was a few years back, and we were just talking about in general, you know, sort of Google and how things worked and SRE, and and then and and, uh, and and it was sort of a, a an awkward point of a conversation yeah um, i guess i 'll say this he was he asked me like why i didn 't ever you know why don 't I work at google and i 'm like, well first nobody asked <laughs> you know <laughs> but uh, but second <laughs> like i i i 't think i even fit in and know what to do there and then we had this conversation about like um you know how s r e toil works and and I I made a comment of how I saw toil actually working in the enterprises well that 's what you do at google but but it was enlightening because I, at that point I really understood that what SRE really meant. And in fact, I remember having an argument with Damon who'd done a lot more, Damon Edwards, a really good friend of mine who had done a lot more research on SRE. And he was like, that's wrong. I'm like, no. And finally it took me like weeks to tell him, like, Oh yeah, you're right. Um, And, but, but the thing I understood at that point about SRE was, it was sort of Google's admittance that there is a rubber meets the road tension that you're going to have to hit at some level of scale. And then there was no def- no real way to define that tension. You know, I guess you could say SRE is the best way to describe and, and it. And trust me, like we could do another podcast on this because you could get me going on what SRE has to look like in the enterprise. And it's not the way these kids are describing it at SoundCloud and, and other places, right? I mean, you can do SRE in its with its philosophical tenets in the enterprise. Just like, but you're not Google. So like okay, you know, you're five generations of technology. You know, you've got things going from, you know, iPhones back to sort of WAS and MQ DB2 databases on mainframes. But the point is that as an industry, I don't I think Jabe to me is the first one to sort of open that up as a describable. Well, first off, just calling it an economy is like, duh, why didn't I think of that? And then but then sort of saying that there really is a, there's this third economy in the middle that is scope. And and if we can use that as our sort of uh, a way to have a discussion for the next decade, it enables us to have a clearer picture about there really are three things we have to deal with, not just two. And you nailed it, that there is sort of a tension point where there is a third thing, and and you have to at some point admit that you have to describe that. It's a pretty
2: complex ecosystem there. Delicate balance.
1: Yeah. You know, Andrew says that, you know, that that maybe it might be too complex for people to describe. I'm like, okay, now, now you've dared me, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> Challenge yeah. accepted. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so, that, so that's been a lot of exciting and stuff. And then, um, the, the other stuff, um, you know, I, I, so, you know, I did, you, you know, you, you all saw, and I, I got to present some of the stuff at your conference, at, you know, at Swamp Up. And I still, you know, again, you know, I like your company, you know, It's for no other reason as I like Sony. I like you guys. I just, I love the DNA of, of, of JFARG. I mean, I always have from the first time I met you guys. Um, I like the fact that you think I'm smart. So that, that helps too. And, and, um, but, you know, just the, 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 you know, I presented the DevOps automated governance stuff at Swamp Up a couple of times, what we did in that paper, um, you know, uh, last year, you know, Gene sort of, uh, you know, invites 50 of us up to Portland every year and, and you know, we wrote this DevOps Automated Governance. It's an IT Rational Revolution, it's um it's Creative Commons, it's it's a pretty cool paper. Um In fact it was Kit Merker who actually got me started on the idea originally, kinda ironically. Mm-hmm. Um, but um but the um but you know but one of the things a couple of companies have taken that a whole nother level forward and so instead of just having this sort of attestation model in the pipeline, um they're starting to go to the policy people and the banks and helping them design. And so I've got one uh, company. We're going to present it. We were going to present it at, to co-present it at the Red Hat Summit, but we're trying to figure out how to do that virtually now. But where the policy people now write YAML files, what they call policy as code or PAC files. And then that drives into the automated attestation model. So now you got the policy. Instead of policy people having to translate the risk to IT people and IT people figuring out how to sort of, um, attest that you know what you're doing is cutting out the middleman and then basically now having sort of the policy people specifically divide in yamo what drives the attestation which ultimately becomes the proof or evidence for audits yes so that's really cool and then one of the things we're going to so we're starting to do the version 2 of that now we're going to do not none of us are going to portland this year obviously nobody's going anywhere but we're doing a virtual we're doing the second version of that and, and we're going to really focus on sort of policy, policy automation, policy as code. But the other thing we're going to try to tackle is um, sort of if you could do that, could you have um, policy error budgets? Hmm. Right. So if you if you, okay. uh, if you you gotten to the place where you've actually built the – and I won't go into detail because you can watch the link so you can download the book. Uh, it's called DevOps Automated Governance on IT Revolution. It's Creative Commons. Yep. It's free. Um, yeah,
0: it's going going to be on the show notes both. Okay, good. So if you go there
1: and then you think about the, this policies code is the next generation in that. So if you get all that right, then you're sort of automating what the policy people expect for the particular services. Then you actually are creating the control points of attestation. Like, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you have this? Did you do this? And so those were basically just like anything else, we can become gates for uh, an error budget model, so now you've got error budget and policy Now we haven't done that yet. it's more of a thought process that we're going to try to put together. but so that's been really interesting. and then the other thing I got involved with sort of through luck is uh, there's a group called OnEG. It's the open network users group. Um, it's got Nick Lippis has been running it for years. They, they got really big in networking during the SDN era. Um, a lot of his working group clients are um, you know the biggest banks in New York. And um, and they got wind of the 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 that paper the um, the automated governance. So we started a work, you know kind of a preliminary working group with some really large companies like FedEx publicly, FedEx, um, uh, Cigna, Kaiser Permanente, uh, United Technologies, a couple of the banks, and we actually opted to go right into to sort of uh, cloud governance, uh, which is a little different, but it's really cool. So we're sort of working through sort of. How can we get the cloud providers to do attestations back to client tenants so so imagine like one of them would be the um, a, a signed uh, a signature log event if the boot sequence changes right right because mm-hmm. you that, that happens all the time and at scale for a particular tenant not knowing that actually could create. Uh, you know, an, an additional t- attack service that you don't know, right? And and it's not sort of not normal that that, that a, a cloud would basically say, oh, by the way, we change. You know, they figure it's, this is all. And, and the interesting is, we're not going to ask the, the the cloud providers to give us any sort of IP. Just give us sort of a signed signature event that we know that we can that check and know that like the boot sync was changed. So something really cr- we know at that point we should do some type of forensics about our infrastructure. Um, and, you know, another one is when a, when a cloud provider – and the other thing we're asking for is a normalized format, you know, because one of the things that a lot of oh, the yeah. cyber and sort of CISO teams have to do is they have to become ex- experts at each different cloud, right? So I know how to get this log from Azure and this log from that. So we're asking for a common format. And so the second thing is that um, – and I'm learning a lot on this too. Like So, like, if a, a cloud provider adds a feature – an existing service, it actually can break the tenant, the client's tenant's um, security, your routing structure, unknowingly. Huh. And so and so the assumption from the cloud providers is that you um, you know, like, well, you'll know that once you decide to use this service or feature within a service. And yes, if that point you were gonna use the feature in a service, you should probably do an exhaustive like you know what does this look like? How is it? But the, the problem is. A, a client might decide you know, we're not going to use that feature and not even know about the feature. And they're actually so the security posture might be compromised because the feature has actually just been turned on and not even used. Um, so there's a couple more like that, you know, a common security framework. So that, that, so getting sort of a pull, pull, push, pull notifier for, um, from all the cloud providers in a common format. So you don't have to go into this cloud security framework versus this one, versus that. So so it's all about sort of getting sort of cloud telling you. The, the biggest one, too, is really interesting. It's going to be hard is a cloud provider knows every ingress request that you make as a tenant to them. Sure, of course. Right. So, but, but you and you as a sort of tenant or client or consumer can eventually get a bunch of logs and stuff to figure that out. Yeah, you could. Yeah. But wouldn't it be nice if they just gave you sort of event notifier of every ingress request from a tenant.
2: That would be way easier. And, it would be cool, uh, right? Because now you can, now you
1: can sort of do denial of service. You can detect anomalous behaviors like crypto miners, you know, without having to do sort of like after the fact, you know, forensics on logs. So anyway, that, that, this all should be published in May. So, and again, that's all going to be – I don't work on any project that's not Creative Commons, so that's all going to be Creative Commons too. So, so that's really taken up quite a bit of my time continue to focus on those areas.
2: Well that was cool. I look forward to uh that being published so I can dig into a l- it a little more for sure.
0: Yeah, no totally. And this is all a work part of this um uh, what you mentioned there,
1: um, Onug. You... It, it, the on- on uh right? yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah again I'm going to post this in the in the okay. show notes well so people can take a look and uh, all this all this standardization effort is where where does it stand
1: say that again sorry
0: all this effort the standardization effort of the open network user group where does it stand in terms of adoption in terms of Kind of, uh, so the idea, kind of idea is,
1: this, so you know, I, I, it's sort of kind of be a, a voice of reason, right? So a lot of people are getting like, we're never going to collaborate with do this. So the idea is, like, if you think about the companies that are sort of writing the paper, like FedEx, United Technologies, Cigna, KP, um, uh, I think we have JPMorgan Chase, and um, and and then then we're going to add another ring to it once we sort of have our first cut of of sort of our reviewers. And so the idea is that if you had like trillions of uh, you know a trillion dollar of a buying power so we're actually not going to the cloud provider and say you will need to give us this because they'll tell us to jump in the lake but if we have like you know 20 logo cloud consumers
0: and mm-hmm.
1: say yep yeah, we and hold that paper up and say yes we believe is this is something you do i think that so so I, I keep telling reminding everybody we're not it's not a cloud provider ask it's an industry ask we're not yes. trying to create a standards body we're just trying to make a common sense industry ask to say this would be really helpful to do cyber you know cloud you know cloud governance at scale you know if, if the cloud providers could give us normalized formats of these four three or four things
2: I don't uh-huh. think it's a huge ask either considering the sheer size of the benefit i don't think it's a big
1: benefit for everybody and then the other i agree and the other thing too is um you know the thing we're being really clear about is we're not asking for any ip so don't interpret like we don't want to know anything about your boot sequence
2: just standardize it
1: but uh, well we we don't care we just want a, a signature that tells us that the sequence has changed sure Right? Like it's a checksum for whatever way against all the things you do in the boot sequence that every time we're doing, and that becomes another attestation in the DevOps order maybe governance model. So maybe the first thing you do after the pull request, right, is you go out and you just before you, the first thing you do in the build is you go check to see if the, you know, the sort of boot sequence attestation signature is still the same. Sure. You know, and uh, yeah. So yeah, being really clear that we're not on any of these asks, we just want sort of uh, more of a sort of something that just assures us that what we thought you looked like still looks the same. So, um, you know, and, and those can be, again, you know, and then you ball that into audits, then you're sort of saying that, you know, we feel really confident that this thing that's running in production right now has, you know, all the things that we believe as a bank should be, in accordance to our governance models, our compliance and governance models. And, um, you know, you know, there are black swans. But to the point of that, we actually are looking at all the angles. Did the cloud provider change something that opened up um, a whole lot of holes out there for us? You know, so, yeah, no, it's um, – I've been really excited about that. And then, uh, and then the other thing I, I'm really excited about – I don't want to make more noise about this. I'm going to do less work on this, but really sort of, you know, try to kick people in the butt to get motivated – um, Red Hat on the CTO team just hired um two of my soccer playing guys. Um so from from the uh, uh, the, uh I am mean, going to get in trouble with this. the the criminals once known as Docker. Um the uh, the uh,
2: <laughs> but, uh, I was my LaCroix, So thanks. I'm for allowed to
1: say that and and, and Brooke knows why. But uh <laughs> um the um but we hired two, two you know to two like one uh, Brent Salisbury who's I mean, back in the day, Martin Casado used to quote him because Brent was running OpenFlow at, at University of Kentucky Hospital before Nasera was actually had production customers. Um, you know, and so he understands networking and, you know, at, you know, again, going through sort of what we did with soccer play. And he was a, a core committer on Open Daylight. And now he's working back at Red Hat on edge stuff. So I'm really, you know, I, you know, my danger zone is I get into too many things and I do everything crappy, (laughs) but I I do, I'm, I'm like, I think there's a really good story about, you know, what networking, how do we take advantage of networking in the new, newer models because of this, you know, when you're talking about putting shipping containers near stadiums and cell phone towers that are running racks of Kubernetes Yes. Like, like we, we really probably need to up our game on networking, right? And what you know, what, what software defined networking really means in those models. So I'm really happy that two of the guys uh, um, that work for the that were part of our original soccer plane now are back at uh, Red Hat and working in the CTO office. So, so that that I think that will help Red Hat like significantly.
0: So I'm having yep. fun. Yep no, no it, way, is, it, is, it is it is interesting and obviously the the network attestations are very a topic that close to to uh, close to home for us because uh, you know uh, uh, our work on providing metadata about artifacts and uh, actually trying to guarantee to some reasonable extent that the, the the what you build and what you promote is what actually is run in production so um, I think this is all. This is all very, very interesting and 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 relevant. So thank you for sharing that. It, as I mentioned, we will pause that. Um, the, the user group, the Open Network User Group, link uh, in the show notes. Uh, I see that they have a virtual event coming up in uh, in May.
1: That's so, where we're going to present. We're going to pre- that was going to be a live event, obviously. Even now it's virtual, but we're, that's where we're going to. Um, that we were going to do um, the presentation of the paper there. But we're going to do it now as a virtual presentation. Okay,
2: cool.
0: We'll tune in so, for that.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely.
0: Concerned. We will. We will definitely join to see how it shapes up, and obviously, how can we tie it back to the work that we do on the metadata, on the builds, and the metadata of the distribution, and this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. it, it you know, I mean, it's all so cliche. It takes a village, right? Like I said early on. I mean, you. You know, if I walked into a shop and they they weren't. They had really no serious notion of how they managed artifacts and, and source of artifact as like a critical component. I know that's not the only thing you do these days, but um, that, that if they didn't know that that was sort of like critical to just holistic, um, you know, a, a holistic you know, kind of security posture in DevOps, yep. they would be out, you know, you'd be like, okay, you guys are lost.
2: Get it together. Know?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I do think that you know, um, you know, dependency, all the things that go into the complexities there. You know, I mean, I think you have to sort of, you know, I, you know, I mean, it's one of the reasons I really love the DevOps automated governance because it it really was not vendor specific and it sort of fit with most of the vendors that were doing the right stuff in the right way you know, the original DevOps automated governance, right? Like there's, we have out of seven stages to describe two of the boxes, you know, in our sort of uh, our implementation version, you know, JFrog was the selected um, tool that we used. Artifactory was the tool that we, we used for those two, right? I mean, again, we weren't making recommendations. We were just sort of going through like at every stage, where would we get out to stations from? Right and and you know clearly sort of you know dependencies and artifacts which were two of the seven stages um, yeah so it takes it definitely takes a village and I think the more that we sort of approach the holistic way of thinking through this you know the, you know back back to the thing earlier right the the third economy right it it the third economy works when the things that are in that sort of primordial soup of a, what I call platform as an interface. Um, or what the GTO team is calling a platform as interface um, is that you have to have all these things. Yep. And they have to be seamless to the sort of developers and, and, and for the most part, actually seamless from the infrastructure people of really caring what the developers are doing specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Very much. Yeah. That obviously it's all makes sense. And there is a lot of work to do there yet. So I think, um, yeah, it's it's what you described. We're kind of on the verge of the next step when everybody already understand the importance and the need, and now we have to deal with with the real tough problems, which is, you know, how how we scale it and 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 how we create the ripple effect,
1: for sure. I think also I, like I said, I, I don't just do this because I'm on your podcast i you know I, I tell you you know how long it took you to sort of pester me to read your book and i I promise you next time and I'd feel so guilty and you'd ping me and like John, and I, you know I, I I thought it would be okay and good, but like I loved it, you know, like the um, liquid software and i I think that's just a great metaphor for like what the you know the next ten years looks like, right, which is the the fact that we'll be forced to think about delivering software completely different than we did. 5 years ago
0: yeah and obviously attestations and the quality and the assurance that what you actually get yeah. is what you you know what what you wanted people to ship to you is is the critical piece in creating this trust because uh, that's that's the problem that we face right now so the the, the trust issue the one of the reasons we cannot actually go faster than we go at the moment is that the, the users that get the updates cannot trust them they have to do the acceptance testing. This takes time; it slows everything down. And obviously, getting rid of it—it's all about trust. It's yeah. trust in your in your software um, provider, and it means that the processes are right, they're working, they they can ensure the quality, and obviously, they can ensure uh, the the authenticity of what you are getting. And that's that's the that's the problem.
1: Yeah, you know, I had, a, I, had a, um, I recently did a. Uh, sort of a, a devops for regulated environments presentation to an executive team at a bank. Right. And, and at the end of the CR I said, okay, John, you know um, I'd use my seven deadly diseases and all that stuff, but he, he said, okay, so all right, we, we suck. Like you just told me we suck. I'm like, I don't know. like, he's like, but like, you know, we're trying to do the right things and, but like, how do we given that we have all these things? And I said, And I said, yeah, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, like, you know, and this guy, you know, I talked to him on a couple of things. So I knew he had the sort of right way of thinking. Like he was, he was so your classic intent driven CIO. He he understood the right way to run an organization, you know, which wasn't command and control. It wasn't blameful. But, you know, and I said, you know, I know that, that that's part of DNA, but you still have this problem, which is, you know, like a lot of banks are just run by lawyers and like, and, and, and so, you know, so how do you deal with like you want to go faster and you want to do this thing. And, and then you have to sort of cut out, you you have to sort of focus on the noise and, and then you don't know what the noise is unless you go sort of talk to all the people. And what you find is what I find, which everybody says, but I find it when I interview, I, I mean, last three years before I can read out, I've interviewed some of the largest banks. I spent a month at one of the largest banks, you know, I've presented on this at Swamp Up but, uh, and, and Yala, Yala, Um But the, what I find is, you know, the, the development teams, the crack these young kids will tell me, they can whip out a major application in like one or two weeks, but it takes six to eight weeks to get it implemented because all the banks, policy, NFR, the risk NFRs, and all these things that they have to cut and paste and put these, you know, grab these and fill out these forms and business continuity and all these things, And and so you don't magically walk in and wipe those out because they're, you know, they're they're so legacy. Nobody knows all the policies. But if you start working on automated governance and attestations and policies code, you start closing the gap on the variance. It's easier to sort of um, converge, you know, because now you're sort of driving forward and you're shrinking the variance of all those sort of ridiculously, like the thing is a bank will never be able to have a summit where everybody sits down. And says, okay, everybody in the room, let's figure out these, you know, these, you know, 1980s and 90s policy regulations that don't even make sense anymore. And let's just spend the next two weeks figuring out how to arbitrate that. It can't happen. It won't happen. Economically, it's impossible. So you're just stuck in this sort of vicious cycle of people like saying, why do I have to write a business continuity definition for data that's stored on S3? Right. And, 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 and like, they're like, is there somebody we can talk to? And they're like, I don't know. There's somebody out there. And, 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 but if you start driving these automated sort of attestation and policies code, it sort of cleans itself up. And
2: it'll be a bear to get them to switch, but.
1: Yeah. I mean, an example, world, PNC, like, you know, some of the banks are actually, um, you yeah, know, I think John has talked about this, but. But some of the banks, uh, it may be another bank too, but uh, all they'll do is now they're bringing the policy bill into the ideation phase. And so now they're walking in and saying, okay, you're going to need these five um, risks for this service. And then they become JIRA tickets. And um, and those are at the stations, right? And then the the service team can look at one and say, you know what, we're going to reject this one, and here's our description. Well, that becomes an emergent pattern. So the next time you do a service, it's like, and it's got that sort of NFR, that sort of risk, it's already sort of defined as an acceptable um, rejection or exception in this case. So you actually start cleaning out the sort of ridiculous NFRs without having any humans. It it sort of emergently gets cleaned up, right? And and my answer was, that's the way you sort of get better at this stuff.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it's the same process that we experienced with any other kind of quality assurance, right? It's the same with, with tests. Once we establish automated tests, we don't need to check it manually. Exactly. And Once you establish uh, a good uh, governance and attestations process, you don't need to test it manually. You don't need to fill all those documents and make sure that, exactly. you know, it's they're cool. on sign up and reviewed manually and everything. It's, it's, this, is how, this is how we transform everything with automation. It's, it's exactly the same
1: process. That's yeah, a good thought, comparison. It's, it should have been obvious to me. But, yeah, the whole how you went from sort of manual testing, automated testing, and then how all the sort of – even though you knew there were going to be a certain level of benefits, but you found all these sort of unattended benefits that happened – that made you accelerate, like things got cleaner, it got easier, it was repeatable, you know, and it's the same thing that I think we're going to find when we start, you know, treating risk, you know, automated governance as we did automated testing. In fact, there's the sort of comparison. Yeah. Good point.
2: Yeah. Humans are, we're, we're more error prone than computers are. You know, we, if we have to do something repeatedly, we're going to eventually get bored or distracted and make a mistake. And, uh, that's not something a bank can afford to do with security.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you go back to the original Deming stuff, right. Like, you know, which I'm also a geek on, which is, you know, um, Deming didn't say this, but there's many disciples of Deming that said, you know, variance is, is the root of all evil. Right. Right. Like it is, you know, at, at scale variance is what, what, uh, what will sort of murder you something even i think it was in jez's lean enterprise or where he has the story of the 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 one byte difference in a module in a in a, in a code you know mm-hmm. in, in sort of uh, you know some code right like and it was one byte difference between sort of the qa and the prod and it it was like a week to discover the problem like the sort of heisenbug thing stuff right so so variance, when you think about sort of the, the butterfly effects of complex systems or just complex systems in general. And you think about any level of variance, you know, when you put those two together, you're just going to obviously have, you know, it's going to, your overhead of all the things that you do, are just going to be more costly. So, so tidying the variance on, to your point, Kat, like, you know, humans, you know, there's certain things humans have to do, right? So we, I think Sure, absolutely. Creative but, thinking requires a human. Yeah, exactly. Ideation and things we can do there. But, but certainly when we, to your point, if we are allowing humans to sort of do this repetitive thing over and over, we're creating a level of, very, you know, example of like why infrastructure code has been so popular over the last 10 years. People used to manually build their dev environment, manually build their QA environment, and manually build their production environments.
2: Nobody wants to do that, and you they know? just weren't
1: going to be the same you know like yeah. and and that was going to level at level of variance that was at scale big enough to cause these weird sort of heisen bugs that like you either never figure out or you spend like eighteen hours on a production system downtime trying to figure out how to fix it,
2: yeah, yeah. I do so much of my work in containers now that uh well,
1: yeah, that, that was that uh, was another reason why containers were so popular they had this immutable effect right so it, it you yeah. create another whole level of of uh, of minimized variation so yeah
2: the uh the it works on my machine i don't know why it doesn't work on yours excuse doesn't really fly as much now that we can just work in containers like it works on yeah. my machine so i'll ship my machine you know
1: yeah you yeah, know it was a, a big part of what um was sort of accelerated the whole container sort of adoption craziness and where we are today no yeah so it's all i mean but you know, at the end of the day, like you know, when young people ask me about like you know what what should I do, and I do I do these things with Georgia Tech and the universities where they invite me once a year, and I'm like you know, just find a job where eight out of ten days you wake up with a smile on your face because you think it's <laughs> really cool. But there are days that suck no matter where you are. Uh, but like if every, most days you're waking up and thinking, oh man, I'm gonna be working on this, this, and this, and I think most of us in this industry, like we've been blessed to have that.
0: Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean and especially today we are the last people to complain with everything that's going on. We um we still have um wor- we still have our jobs, we still have uh, work to do, we're trying to do our best. And I think the um, the work that you are doing helping the industry getting um you know get, getting getting in better shape in terms of building trust in the end of the day one of the most important ones and for that we we thank you yeah well thank you guys you know
1: like i said it does definitely take a village you know whether you believe that or not but it takes all of it, it takes you you know you guys sort of driving you know sort of the way you drive adoption the, you know the conferences that you run and you know and it takes people like me and other sort of you know people that sort of contribute their time to uh you know i i get you know not to get too sort of gushy if you will but I really do get a kick out of like meeting somebody two years after they've seen one of my presentations and tell me that they something I said really sort of drove their sort of energy into something and like that probably more rewarding than anything even I've gotten financially over the years so
2: that's heartwarming that's that's the whole reason I like public speaking in case I, I, I want to genuinely bring something useful to somebody
1: yeah, there are people out there that sit and they really want to learn and when they find they hear the right thing from the right person, it, it sort of you know, I don't want to say in the grand scheme of things it doesn't change their life, because life is more than what we do, it's your family, it's all the things. <laughs> sure. But it does sort of change their life, you know, right? And that that's a pretty damn good feeling, right? So It really
0: is. So on this optimistic note, I think <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, we can wrap up. John, thank you very much. It was, as usual, fascinating, and and, uh, I think we learned a lot. Uh, We're going to post uh, all the links or a lot of things that we spoke about, which is whatever out of it is linkable uh, on the show notes. Uh, This podcast is available, again, on uh, Jeffrop YouTube channel and on uh, podbean.com slash DevOpsPeakEasy, Um, also hopefully on all our Twitters um and uh, let's do the twitter pronunciation and re- exercise i just love it how hard it is for everybody um john you start first what's your twitter handle
1: oh yeah so it's um it's botchagalup uh, b-o-t-c-h-a-g-a-l-u-p and you know i i am actually Jay willis at redhat.com but um, i'll always be uh, botchagalup at gmail.com so
0: uh, here we go. What what is this? What is this word? It's, I I always want.
1: To <laughs> That's another hour podcast, my friend. Uh, oh my it, god! It's, it's a silly name that my uh, that when I when I was a young kid, uh, my mom used to sort of sing this song, and we were all when we were all getting our first internet identities on sort of Twitter, and and like I look back, like I could have got JMW, man. Why didn't I get JMW? But <laughs> I thought I'd be clever, and I'd use this thing and you know in a lot of ways it's been good it's terrible for pronouncing and remembering but yeah it, it has there's some interesting folklore that people have come up to me and told me about it and I've, I've, I've actually compiled some like real funny stories about their story about this word um, but I never All right, and
0: Kat you know, has also no. a Twitter handle with a twist with the story uh, behind it uh,
2: so my Twitter handle is Dixie3Flatline that is the number three. Uh, it is a reference to something, and nobody ever gets it, and it makes me a little bit sad, like one person has gotten it. So if you know what that is a reference to, please DM me. Don't say it on the podcast, guest, if you know what it is. Uh, DM me, and I will send you a t-shirt. Uh give and me a fix- hint?
1: Can, can you give me a hint?
2: A hint? Um, this is what my
1: kids do to me all the time, right? Like, they make me give, like, and it's, got, it's be a good, a good hint, so it doesn't make it real easy, but... You got, now you got me like, and it's just so I don't waste too much time trying to figure out what this is.
0: No, no, you have to try to figure it
1: out. That's exactly what You gotta that. figure You're it right. out. Like even really, really abstract, hit, hit one hint. Um, uh,
2: it's everyone. tech related.
1: All right, good. that's good, okay, that's good. All right, fair enough.
0: All right, okay. And I am the most boring <laughs> of all of you. I am at Baruch on Twitter uh, and uh, and I think with that, thank you very much, John, it was a pleasure. Thank you Thank very you. much, Kat. It was a pleasure. And see you in the future episodes of the DevOps Speakeasy podcast.
1: Yeah. Sounds good, uh, yeah. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.